0: I mean, so we're this morning we're in Galatians chapter one, verses 11 to 24. And we're actually finishing the entire chapter today. So over the last few weeks in Galatians, we've been looking at Paul uh, beginning to make a defense for the gospel. Uh, again, the t- situation in Galatia was there was false teachers coming into the church and claiming that simple faith in Jesus was not al- alone was not enough for salvation. Uh, they, were, they were Judaizers, the scripture says. They were people who wanted to uh, turn Gentiles into Jews and then into Christians. And Paul's argument is no. If anyone comes to you uh, with any other gospel, what did he say last week? Let him, let him be accursed. And so as we finished our text last Sunday, Paul brought a very important question to us. He said, who am I trying to please? He said in verse 10, in his own words, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? So Paul, he wants to answer this charge that is being brought against him, that he is offering a a distorted gospel, that his was one that was people-pleasing, that was too easy, and that he corrupted something that was given to him by someone else. But as we learned last week, people-pleasing was the last thing on the apostle Paul's mind, I mean, he calls out the false teachers. He says, they're the one bringing the trouble. They're the one bringing a different gospel, a perversion of, of, of the truth. And he tells the Galatians, lads, you're, you're walking away from Jesus. So clearly Paul was not in the business of, of people pleasing. But what's going to happen this morning and as we go through chapter two is Paul begins to make his defense um, as to why he has the authority to actually teach us and to show us um, and teach us about Jesus and the gospel. And there are accusations by a lot of uh, scholars today saying that Paul twisted the message of of Christianity and Jesus, and that it was Paul versus Jesus, Paul versus James. Whereas the contrary is the truth. Uh, Paul was a messenger of Jesus, And we see that in our text this morning. Paul's going to tell us that he didn't receive his gospel from man. It wasn't handed down to him, so he didn't distort it. It came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So what we get is, he starts in chapter 1. He says, none of the Jews and the Christians in Judea told me about the gospel. Then he goes even, even kind of further. He says, no one in Jerusalem taught me the gospel. He brings it to the apostles. The apostles didn't teach me the gospel. And Peter, the lead apostle, did not teach me the gospel. He says he received it um, from the one who was above them all. He received it from God himself. He says it's a revelation of Jesus. And that's important. One of the criteria for being one of the apostles who laid the foundation of the church, we see in Acts 1, is they had to be a witness of the resurrected Jesus. They had to see Jesus alive, risen from the grave, to be an apostle. And Paul, he makes that claim this morning that he did see him. And if he did see him, then we can trust that what he's saying is true, that he has not twisted the gospel, he has not made a perversion of it, and that his words can be relied upon because they are the words given to him from Christ himself. And so he says in verses 11 and 12, "'For I would have you know, brothers, "'that the gospel that was preached to me, "'or preached by me, rather, "'is not man's gospel.'" For I did not receive it from men, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So so Paul says we have a message coming from the apostle that was handed down from God to us. And what does he do? He contrasts it with the gospel of the Judaizers, saying, well, our message comes from from heaven, from the Lord himself, whereas the the message of the Judaizers, it finds its origin in, in men, it has been taught by men and it leaves you in a place where again you have to do your job to try earn your way to god you have to climb the ladder and that's the contrast here we have one message that is human in nature and ultimately again what what you must do to try earn favor with the lord and then we have another message which is about, which is about its nature god it is about God, what God has done for you and for me. How he has come, how he has stepped down, how he has become one of us, how he has died for us, how he rose again for us to bring us to himself. And this shouldn't surprise us that this is the, the battle going on in Galatia because this is the battle that has been going on throughout human history. Think back like in Genesis 11, you have the Tower of Babel, right? In Genesis 11, what we see is mankind, they come together, And they're they're psyching each other up, you know, let us build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. They want to build this huge structure so they can ascend up the steps, you know, to the heavens where they would have believed the gods were. But what happens? They fail. Man will never be able to ascend to God. We cannot reach God by our own efforts. And so rather than the promise of scripture being one day we'll have the ability to do that, that we can try and be good enough to, to earn our way into heaven, to earn salvation, to earn the favor and the love of God. The promise of the scripture is not that we will come up to God, but rather that a child will be born unto us, who will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we see this in the person of Jesus. Jesus comes, he comes down to earth, and he says that he is the one who bridges the gap between heaven and earth. He is the one that stands between us and the Lord and makes it possible for us to enter into his presence. And so we have this very big contrast here between the divine gospel of God, which is about what he has done, and the the teaching and the gospel of man, which is about what we must do. And there's plenty of, of teaching in this world, but it will never be enough. And like there is there is so much like teaching in this world like you can do a quick google search go onto youtube you will find anything to, to you know to, to satisfy our itching ears we can find spiritual gurus you can find life coaches and motivational speakers you know finance gurus and health gurus you can find a podcast for literally anything there is a lot of human teaching and yeah you know like i, I listen to podcasts too and these things can be beneficial they can have their place and maybe if you follow certain people, you might change some circumstances in your life and you might be better than the person you were yesterday. But the thing is this, no matter how much you try and no matter how much the teaching of man ultimately tries, there, there, there's one thing that the gospel of man, the good news of mankind can never change. And that is in here. It is your heart. Our hearts cannot be changed by our own good works. And that 's the argument there that we can't be good enough by ourselves to get to God, and that's why it's so important that we need Jesus and we have proof even in the gospels that even the most righteous, good person in our community needs grace and needs a changed heart um, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, he often has these these confrontations with the people we know as the Pharisees in matthew twenty three now the Pharisees, these were considered, you know, we don't like the Pharisees. We read the scriptures and we know the Pharisees aren't the best of people. But for the Jews, these were like the most outstanding people of your community. These were the most righteous, they were the most holy. They did all the rules. They had the rules. They set the rules. They looked like they kept the rules. They were admired in the community as being as being a Pharisee. And a Pharisee literally comes from a Greek word which means to be separated. These are the people whose lives were supposed to be uh, characterized by being separated from people unto God. And so you would expect the Pharisees, people whose very definition of their name is, I am separated unto God, we would expect them to be the cream of the crop, like to be the most outstanding people in society. And yet in the Gospel of Matthew, instead of commending the Pharisees, in Matthew 23, Jesus has a rebuke for the Pharisees. And it really hits the heart of the matter with the powerlessness of man's gospel. In Matthew 23, verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plates, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside of the cup may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to the others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and and, and lawlessness. And Jesus, he compares them to a dirty cup. So we have lots of cups there in the back this morning. And we take them home, we wash them each week. But if I just gave the outside a polish, and gave you someone's leftover cup from last week, it might look clean from afar, but upon an inspection, it's, qu- it's quite dirty, and I wouldn't expect you to drink from it. Neither would I. And yet this is what Jesus says Pharisees are like, that despite all the good things they were trying to do, all the rules they wanted to keep, the tenants they lived their lives by to be the best, it didn't have the power to change what was inside. Man's gospel can never deal with the issue of sin. And that's the big issue of the gospel. is: What do we do with, with sin? How do we deal with sin? How do we um, have a relationship with God restored? And how do we have the power to overcome sin? Not just outwardly like the Pharisees, but in here. How do how are we changed from the inside out? And so we do not need any more teaching from man when it comes to God. What we need is a revelation of God. And we have that in the gospel. And With the gospel, there is... Power to change because it's the source is the Lord. Peter, the Apostle Peter, he says this to us in 2 Peter 1. He says, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, through Jesus, who called us to his glory and his excellence, by which we have been granted his precious and very great promises, so that we may become partakers of the divine nature and escape from the corruption of the world. Peter says it's not out there that you're going to find the answer for sin. It's not out there that we're going to live a life that is truly godly. It is through the knowledge that comes from the revelation of God, the knowledge of the gospel. So what, what message sounds more appealing to you? You know, A message where you have to struggle, you have to do it, you have to try to be good enough, and hope you're not bad enough when it comes to the very end? Or is it the message of Jesus and Jesus alone? Faith in him plus nothing else. As we go through our text, again, Paul, what he does here is he wants to prove to us, yes, he has the authority to preach this wonderful message. He has the authority and um, to say, if you trust in Jesus alone for salvation, place your faith in him, that is it. Nothing else you can do can bring you to God. But what he does here, um, I want you to notice something. He doesn't just tell us about how he met Jesus on the road and how Jesus commissioned him. That is one of his proofs of the validity of his gospel. But the other proof we see in this text this morning is the effectiveness of his gospel in his own life. If we just preach these, if I just spoke these words and we just talked about the gospel and it had no change in our lives, is it, is it really the good news? Paul's life was changed by the gospel. His life proved the power of the gospel. So what we have here this morning is an account of the testimony of Paul, of who Paul was before becoming a Christian how unlikely it was that he could become a Christian, what changed, what made him this person who wanted to you know, persecute the church to someone who wanted to preach the gospel. He speaks of how Jesus changed his life and how through that changed life, people look at Paul and they say, wow, God, you are glorious, you are great. See, the testimony of Paul's changed life that it was changed through faith in Jesus is a proof of the gospel itself. And Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her children. As in the fruit is what determines whether something is good or bad. Jesus says, if we're looking at a false teacher and you want to see a false message, you want to know what's true, look at the outcome of her life. He says, you know, a bad, a sick tree can't bring forth good fruit and a good tree, a healthy tree can't bring forth bad fruit." And so we're to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and see, well, did his message bear fruit, first and foremost, in his own, his own life? And I suppose as we look at this transformation of Paul from a man who was this zealous, persecutor of the church, and a man who was obsessed with his religion, into a person who preached the message he wanted to destroy, I think when we... We hear testimonies and we read testimonies, whether in scripture or whether someone up is on up here giving you their testimony. One of the things it often does is it makes us examine our own lives and our testimony. You know, how has Jesus changed us? What has He taken us from? And where is He leading us right now? So I hope that as we look at Paul's life and his testimony, we will be able to examine ourselves and say, Lord, have you changed me truly? And am I now walking in line with the gospel I profess, and is there fruit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and that transformed the apostle Paul, scripture says, is in you. That power is in you when you place your faith in Jesus. And God can be glorified in your life through your testimony, not just how he brings you to himself, but what you do with that afterwards, your faithfulness. Last week, we, we, we looked at um, the gospel of John where Jesus talks about abiding in him, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And Jesus says this in John 15, by this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And I want us to walk away knowing, knowing this morning we can do that. We can bear fruit that brings God glory. Listen here now how Paul describes himself before coming to Christianity in verses 13 and 14. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Fathers. Uh, We'll ask afterwards if that's okay. Thanks, man your grandma don't worry so how does Paul describe himself here before coming to Christ he says he was a man who was devoted to Judaism and he he was zealous That meant he burned with passion in particular for the traditions for the rules of the Pharisees uh, so much so that he was a superstar among his generation he was he was head and shoulders above everyone else for his devotion to Judaism and he takes this zeal he takes this burning passion he says I tried to persecute the church and destroy it. His zeal led him to attack the church violently, to chase it away, to try to get the name of Jesus out of uh, Jerusalem. And we see this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter eight, it records the beginning of Paul's persecution of the church. What happens in Acts eight is, um, well, right before Acts eight, Stephen, he is the very first martyr, the very first person to lose his life for the gospel. And he is stoned to death by the Jews in Jerusalem. And it tells us in Acts 8 that Paul was there, and that he approved of this execution, and that because of this execution of Stephen, it was like this catalyst for Paul, and it was his reason to take this even further. And so he is going into people's homes, he's dragging Christians, men and women, out to have them arrested and put on trial for their faith in Jesus. So Paul is clearly the last person you would expect to come to the gospel, like, If I saw someone in here like dragging, like of you folks in the back and to put you in prison, like I wouldn't expect them to be open to hearing the good news. Like it wouldn't make any sense, exactly. So like he went further um, than this. Not only did he like want to destroy the church in Jerusalem, um, Acts 9 tells us he was so zealous, he goes to the high priest and says, hey, can I have your permission to go to Damascus and like arrest the Christians there. It's like he's going into the neighboring towns and regions just to really get rid of the Christian faith. He's a madman for his persecution of Jesus. Paul was very boastful, we know, about this. In the book of Philippians, when he's talking about... um, Again, he's, he's criticizing those who say you need to be circumcised for faith in Jesus. He says, you know, watch out for these people, these dogs who want you to be the of the flesh. They're boasting in the fact that you have circumcised yourself. He says, well, I have more of a reason to boast. You know, he says, I was a Hebrew, a Benjaminite. I was um, a Hebrew of Hebrews. To the law, I was a Pharisee. To a zealous person, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And that was the life of Paul. He is someone who just didn't give a toss about Jesus bar wanting to get rid of his followers. He was someone who only cared about the law and what he was doing with the law. And you notice there when he talks about himself in verses 13 and 14, it's all about him, what I was doing, who I am. You know, I was this great person, I was passionate, I kept the law. And yet all the while he is trapped in sin because again, there was no power to change. The law is powerless to change you. Being a, trying to be a good person isn't going to really change what's in here. You're good, you're good. Um, he becomes converted, absolutely. And he gets completely changed, which is the amazing part of the gospel, isn't it? That God can take like, the absolute worst of sinners and, and transform them. So Paul was a man who was trapped in the sin. And no matter how much he tried to be better, do better, pursue righteousness. He was dead in his sin. And that's what Paul says about himself, and that's what he says about each and every one of us before coming into Christ. In Ephesians 2, says that we were dead in the trespasses of our sins; that we were following after this world; we were following the power of the enemy; that we were by nature children of wrath. In Ephesians chapter two, that by ourselves, apart from Christ. That is the best we can hope for, really, when it comes to the Lord. We can't live for God without Christ. We only live for ourselves. We do what we want to do. But ultimately, we are slaves. Slaves to the evil one. Paul was certainly like that. I was like that. Like, you know my testimony. I wasn't the most upstanding of citizens of coming to Christ. Um, some of you in this room know this more than others. Some of you in this room knew me before I became a Christian. And I hated Christians. I didn't want to become a Christian. You know, I, 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 was, I, was, I was depressed, I was drinking heavily, I was, I was harming myself, I was doing everything I could to try and fix my life. And I had no interest in Jesus. So Paul had a fairly drastic testimony. Mine wasn't as bad, and maybe yours isn't as, like, ridiculous as mine had to be. Yeah, but day, exactly. But Paul says the state in each of every one of us, the state of Paul before coming to Christ, is we are dead in our trespasses. And if we are dead, I don't know if you knew this, but if you're dead, you can't bring yourself back to life. <laughs> like if you're a body on the ground, you can't pick yourself back up. You need someone to come in and save you. You need someone to bring you back to life. And this is what happens to the apostle Paul. Paul, the great devotee to Jerusalem, uh, the persecutor of the church, tells us in verses 15 and 16, that he was set apart, apart from his own righteousness, that he was called by grace and he had an encounter with Jesus that turned his life upside down. Verses 15 and 16 says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach to him among the nations, I did not immediately consult with anyone. But, and I didn't go into Damascus or Jerusalem, to the apostles. I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What Paul tells us here is that upon his conversion, upon this thing that changed the the, the trajectory of his life, when he was called by God, set apart by God, um, that he didn't go to Jerusalem. You know, for some strange reason, whether providence or led by the Holy Spirit, Paul in Acts, he escapes um, Damascus and he goes into the place of Arabia. In fact, he says, it's not until three years I come to Jerusalem. Now, Arabia isn't like Saudi Arabia today. Arabia in the first century was the land of Syria, where where Syria was today. And so Paul is hanging out in Syria for about three years, preaching the gospel, and then he returns to Damascus. Again, this is because of the, the persecution that he was facing. Paul was being persecuted for his faith in Jesus. You have to forgive me, um... I've lost my notes there for a second on my page, which is, which is quite funny, but there we go. All good. So yeah, Paul, he leaves Damascus. He's hiding out in Arabia for three years and he returns to Damascus and he preaches the gospel there. And it's quite amazing when you think about that, that Paul, the man who was coming to Damascus to, to persecute the church, has to flee Damascus now because he is preaching the message of the church. Well, what happened? Paul tells us in verses 15 and 16 that the one who set him apart before he was born, God himself. He called him by his grace and revealed Jesus to him. The apostle Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are saved by grace. He said, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before Him, so that we should walk in them. So Paul tells the Ephesians, guys, you are saved by nothing you can do. You are saved by Jesus. And Paul could write those words because he had experienced it firsthand. Paul, who was nowhere close to receiving salvation, who was nowhere near a place where he could stand before God in his own merits, he says he was saved. He was set apart by God and found holy and blameless. And what did Paul do? Absolutely nothing. He did absolutely nothing to earn his salvation. He did nothing to deserve this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Again, it's the big idea. It's Jesus and nothing else. It was pure grace from God. There was not a thing Paul could have done to have earned his salvation. He was taking the church down. Again, the last person we would expect to come to know him. And yet And He says, while he was lost in his sin, God was merciful to him and God called him by his grace and Jesus appears to him and the road of Damascus. And you can read that for yourselves later on in Acts chapter nine. Notice how Paul describes himself here, his calling. He said he was, he was set apart. And I just love that language because again, Paul was a Pharisee. These are the people who tried to set themselves apart by their good works. But Paul says, it was not until God came into my life that I was truly ever set apart in the first place. Like whether, again, you are raised like in a Christian household and you have been brought up in the scriptures, brought up in the faith, or whether God reveals himself to you, you know, later on in life like myself, that is true in each and every one of us. We have been saved by grace and we are set apart for his glory. Paul was set apart for the purposes of God. And if you come to Christ, you place your faith in Jesus, you are brought into this place where you are set apart to be used by God. Paul says in Ephesians, in love God has predestined us to adopt us as his sons and his daughters according to his purpose and will. God calls us by his grace. Again, it's true of your testimony, certainly true of mine. I didn't want Jesus. I I didn't care about Jesus. I didn't want Christianity. I hated Christians. I I was living my own life. I, I was a rebel. I was a stinking rebel. And I did not want God. And yet, for some reason, which I will never know, I will never figure out, God wanted me. And God changed me. And if you're a Christian, God, God wants you. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, he, he, he has wanted you and he will change you. He has changed you. He will make you something beyond yourself. And when we come to Christ, he reveals himself to us. And it's amazing. While we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. For you, for me, for Paul, for everyone. And so if you put your faith in Christ, Paul says you, have been, you, are, you are set apart. You are set apart unto God for his, his glory. But notice, is we are not just set apart to be spared from God's wrath. We are not set apart to get a ticket out of hell. We have been set apart for God's purposes, to serve him. We are like tools in the temple of God, there to be used by him for his purposes. And again, isn't that what we read in Ephesians a moment ago? That we are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works so that we should walk in them. Again, we don't do these good works to earn salvation, but we walk in the good works when we receive salvation through Christ. This is what Paul does. This is the example Paul gives us. Paul was set apart by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul's testimony didn't end when he became a Christian. His testimony continued on throughout his life, through the new life that he was living for God. And again, my testimony didn't stop the moment I became a Christian. Your testimony doesn't stop when you receive Jesus. You're simply, you're turning a page and you're going on to this new chapter where you're walking with God and your testimony today matters just as much. We can live in a way where people can look at us today and and say, wow, God, look at what you're doing. And we can live in such a way that in 50, 60, 70 years time, when most of us in this room are dead, people can look back and say, there was a man and a woman who was set apart by God and used for his glory. We're not just to think of our salvation as what we are saved from, but what we are saved to. God's purposes today in your life and what God wants to do with you in the future and it's amazing. We don't have to have this like, hopeless, purpos- purposeless life. We can be used by the Lord today. And this is exactly what happened with Paul. Paul, in, in verses 18 to 21, he tells us you know, how he left Damascus, how he goes to Jerusalem, um, how he meets with the apostles. But what we really want us to focus on is the last two verses, was the impact, not of, of, of how he became a Christian on the Christians in Jerusalem, but the testimony of his life for Christ now. Look at me in verses. Look at with me. Sorry, verses eighteen to twenty-one. Paul says, "After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Cilicia and Syria, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea." Are in Christ. So again, this is part of Paul's uh, testimony of how he didn't go to Jerusalem immediately and how he didn't receive the gospel from the apostles. Um, instead, he says, you know, he was three years a Christian before he even met an apostle. And um, he was hanging out at Damascus and after three years, he goes to Jerusalem. And even then, he doesn't go to receive from the apostles. Um, he goes as a tourist. He says he went up there to visit Peter, to visit Cephas. Um, the word he uses is gaining, for, for visiting and seeing him, is like gaining knowledge through experience. You know, it's the difference between like looking at the Eiffel Tower on your phone and going to Paris and seeing the Eiffel Tower. Paul's purpose in going to Jerusalem, he said, was simply, I wanted to see Peter. You know, he wanted to see the mother church. He wanted to see um, these people that no doubt he heard about and wanted to experience first time. And even then afterwards, he says, I only met Peter. I only met James, the brother of Jesus. And I didn't even stay that long. I stayed about 15 days. And then I went back home. Now, the book of Acts gives us a little more um, context as to what happened here. Um, Paul, when he goes to Jerusalem after meeting Peter and James, he goes into the streets of Jerusalem. And what does he do? He does what he always does. He preaches Jesus. And it says the Hellenists, (laughs) the kind of Greek Christian cultured people, are so angry at Paul, uh, they want to kill him so the apostles are like, let's get this guy out of here. And they send him home uh, back to Tarsus. And Paul stays there for a very long time. So he's still unknown to the people of Jerusalem. He's unknown to the Christians in, 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 in Judea. All they know about him is the work he is now doing for God. He says in verse 23 and 24, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us, is now preaching the fate he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. That's amazing considering they probably cursed, God at one, cursed him at one point when they spoke to God. Now they're glorifying God because of him. Paul had a calling. He had a duty from God, and that was to preach the gospel. And he's fulfilling it. He preaches the gospel in Jerusalem. He preaches it in Judea. Um, again, so much to the point that he has to be taken away, lest he becomes like the second or third or fourth martyr for the church. And it says that whilst Paul was in Jerusalem and and Judea, he didn't become known for his testimony. He He wasn't known primarily for who he used to be. They knew who he was. What he became known for was the testimony of what he was doing there in Jerusalem, that the very man who was persecuting the church is now preaching the faith he once tried, to destroy, they were looking at how he presently lived his life, and our commitment and the way we live for God now is again is just as much a part of our testimony as when we came to Him in the first place. Again, they looked at them, said the very man who wanted to kill us is now on our side, and they said, "God, you are great, you are glorious." They gave God praise and glory. And so we asked the question: Did Paul bear fruit? Proving to be a disciple of Jesus? Absolutely. Yes, 100%. Does God desire that very same thing for you? 100%. He wants that for me too. The question is though, I think, well, obviously, can we do that? If God wants us to do that, can we do that? Yes. Are we doing it? Is the bigger question that I can't answer for you. Are we living a life that is bearing fruit? Are we walking in such a way that we are living a life that is in line with the gospel we profess? If I ask that question to myself, I'm going to want to say, yeah, of course I am. And if I, if you ask that to yourself, you're going to say, well, yeah, I hope so, right? I, I really want to do this. And, you know, yeah, it's true. You know, we can answer that question for ourselves to a certain extent. And God, he does show us, you know, as we progress in our faith. Where we came from and who we are now. But who in this passage notices the fruit? It's other people. If you want an estimation of are you walking faithfully with God, ask the people who know you the best. Are you living like a Christian? Are we, are we, are, is our testimony one of a Christian? People saw Paul's life, they saw the fruit, and they gave God the glory. We read about Paul. Thousands of years later, and we do that exact same thing because he bore fruit and we saw it. And we must ask ourselves a question, not just how do I feel about my walk, but do those around me see Christ in me? Do those who are my enemies see Christ in me? And they're going to be the judge. Because Jesus says, you know, again, don't like shine your light under a basket so that you can see it. He says shine your light so that everyone else can see it. And they can see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, it's not the false teachers and wolves that are meant to judge their bad fruit. We are meant to look at them and see the fruits. And yeah, you know, we must live lives that, you know, we, where we seek the approval of God. But if we are walking in a way that is pleasing to God, there will be those who glorify God because of us. We can live in such a way where people see what God is doing in us and through us. And it just leads to Praise. And that is the calling we should want to live out. I want to be that kind of person where people see my life, that they see something that God has done in me, and they can give him glory. Thanks, man. You know, I want that for you. Paul says in one of his letters that they are to imitate him as he imitates Christ. So there was something about the way Paul lived where his brothers and sisters saw him and said, That is a man who follows Jesus. I want to be not just like Paul, I want to be like Jesus. And if I'm living like Paul, maybe I can be like Jesus. I want us to be the people where people get jealous for the way we live our lives because we're living it for Jesus. So, how do we do that? One way we see in our text, there, there are many ways, obviously, you know, um, the sling of our sin, walking righteously before the Lord, and um, Bearing the fruit of the spirit, you know, patience, uh, peace, love, you know, self-control, all these great things. One very specific way in our text this morning that Paul did to um, inspire praise to God was he served and he served Jesus. He was using the gifts. He was walking in the calling that he was given and he was preaching the gospel. Paul had many gifts from God, many, 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 many graces from God. And he used these things to fulfill his calling, to preach the word of God to Gentiles. And likewise, God has given you gifts. He has given me gifts. And as we seek to learn, look, to learn what those gifts are, to grow in those gifts to better understanding. And as we use them, God will lead us with them. And we can live our life in such a way where people look at us, where they look at you and look at me and say, wow, those are people of God." praise Jesus. I want to know who he is because their life shows that he is real. Their life shows the gospel is real. Their life shows that Jesus is powerful and he has the power to transform the worst of sinners. And so if we want to bear fruit, if we want to, to glorify God, one of the easiest ways we can do it is to use what God has given you for his glory. Paul encourages us to do this in Romans chapter 12, and we'll close in just a second. In Romans twelve three to 8, Paul writes this. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of himself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. He says, having gifts, therefore, that differ according to the grace of God given to us, let's use them. It's pretty simple. Let's use what God has given us. If prophecy in proportion to your fate, um, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, um, the one who serves in his service, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who gives with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We've been given so much grace and so much giftings from God. Let's walk in them. Let's use them. Let's again, live for him so that people see your works, your life, and they glorify God. Again, your testimony didn't end the moment you became a Christian. The the page turned and the new chapter began. Our calling is to walk in such a way that when it comes to the end of that chapter and the end of the book and the, the synopsis of your life is a person who gave it all up for Jesus. And followed him and served him and brought him glory let's ask the lord to help us in that again we have been given the spirit of god we have been given the holy spirit he didn't just give us this promise to um this words like struggle and to not be able to fill it we can have it when we turn to god for his power so let's pray father we come before you now god lord we ask for that lord Jesus you said Your Father is glorified when we bear fruit and prove to be Your disciples. And God, we know we can do that because you say, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you know, there is fruit. There is growth. There is a changed life. There is a life that glorifies God. Lord, you have not left us alone. You have sent us the Holy Spirit who comes in power to transform, to fill us, to be witnesses to Jesus. God, your divine power has given us all we need that pertains to life and godliness. God, help help me to believe that and to walk in that. God, help each and every brother and sister here today, Lord, to walk in the calling that you've given them and to seek that power from on high to live a life that glorifies you. Lord, thank you that we don't have to do these things to try and earn your favor. God, um, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Our works don't save us. You have saved us, Jesus, Lord. You have saved us to walk with you, to serve you, to follow you. So God, would you please help us, Lord, do that this week? God, if we're struggling, we don't maybe, Lord, we're just tired and we need this a renewed zeal for you, God, to serve you with those gifts. Would you give it to us, Lord? If we don't know what our gifts are and we're confused, Lord, would you reveal that to us, Lord? God, would you give us the opportunity to serve you, to glorify you, God, in our week. God, we pray if um, or anyone's hearing uh, the sound of my voice today, Lord, and does not know you, Jesus, I pray, Lord, they would see the power of the gospel in the lives of this church, and they would cry out to you, God, because you have the power to save. You are mighty to save, Lord. You are faithful to save. We thank you, Jesus, that it is faith in you alone, God, You plus absolutely nothing. And that is everything, Lord. So God, help us to walk in light of the gospel this week. Help us to live for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.